You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast that believes the best comic heroes come in threes. And no, that's not a double entendre. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees and I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, Peter, Paul, and Mary, getting down with three P, everybody loves old Hello and welcome to another jam-packed episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show covering the DC-published Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004. Hi again, my name's Sean Engel. I'm going to be your host for this internet radio show. And this week we're going to be doing things a little differently. Issue 13 is a double-sized issue, which wraps up basically the first two storylines in the Green Lantern comics and lays down the groundwork for what's going to be coming along in the future. And being a double-sized issue, it's instead of being one single story, it's divided into three different chapters, each one of them dealing with the three Earth-based Green Lanterns, Guy Gardner, Hal Jordan, and Jon Stewart. So this week we're going to be breaking things up a bit, reading the chapters, doing the notes on them, and then going from there. I'd also like to thank everyone who's been downloading and listening to the podcast. I really appreciate every one of you doing that, and it means a lot to me that, you know, a middle-aged guy like me who's just decided to talk about comic books on the internet is actually getting a number of people to listen to him. It's pretty impressive by my standards. However, if you are listening, and you do listen to the end of the podcast, where I do the outro for the show, you notice that I am not on Twitter, or Facebook, or really any of the relevant social media sites at all. I mean, I'm doing a podcast, so obviously I'm not some sort of Luddite who's shunning all information technology, and I'm a pretty social guy, but, you know, I don't like getting out on the internet and just putting myself out on Facebook for everyone to see. So, I'm putting forth the question to you, the listeners. Would it be beneficial for this podcast to have at least some presence on Facebook or Twitter, either with a fan page or, God forbid, my own personal Facebook page? Like I said, I'm not some sort of recluse who likes to sit in his basement at home and just record these podcasts and leak them out to the internet like some sort of coast-to-coast conspiracy theorist who's afraid the government's listening in on him. But also, I really don't want the hassle of telling all these friends from high school that I really want to have very little to do with, that I don't want to be their friends on Facebook. So, it's a dilemma that I need to solve. But the one dilemma I don't need to solve is which comic I'm going to be covering after this promo, and that's Green Lantern number 13. So stay tuned. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what?
Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman wait, wait, from... Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle-scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air. Eventually. Because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. And we're back. So, as I mentioned in the preamble, this issue is a double-sized issue, so it's going to be a little different in covering it, especially at the beginning, because of the way it's broken up in chapters. So... Green Lantern number 13 was cover dated June 1991. The cover price was $1.75 US, $2.25 Canada, and 50 pence UK. And we don't start out with the title yet. Page one, we start out with artist M.D. Bright and Romeo Tangal giving us the opening page showing the returned Guardians using the green energy of will to restore the central battery. However, the captions ask the readers if the Guardians have returned unchanged from their time doing the Mattress Mambo with the Samurons, or if they've returned to something else. And I don't really have many notes for the opening page. It's a simple picture of the Guardians using their basically force energy that's basically Green Lantern powered to put the central battery back together. It is kind of interesting that they've got M.D. Bright and Romeo Tongal from the Emerald Dawn series to come back and do the art for it, so it's a really cool linkage to the comic that started up this era of Green Lantern. However, the proper story starts at Chapter 1, which is titled The Chore, and the writer for this is Gerard Jones, the artists are Joe Staten and Bruce Patterson, the letter is Albert Guzman, the colorist is Anthony Tolan, and the editors are Andy Helfer and Kevin Dooley. The One True Green Lantern Guy Gardner flies over New York City back to JLI headquarters. Along the way, people stop and stare, wondering if he will wreak more damage. Guy wonders what he, as a Green Lantern, is supposed to do. The one thing he does know is that he's itching for a fight. Cut to JLI headquarters, where Kilowog is trying on his dress uniform in order to meet the Guardians. He's ready to get back to the Corps, and muses about what a bunch of great guys the Lanterns were. On cue, 
guy slams a ring construct anvil into Kilowog. And Fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, ensues. But since Guy isn't into the tussle, Kilowog walks away, leaving Guy to sulk. Kilowog asks Guy what's really bothering him, and Guy opens up. He feels that he's just been keeping Hal's seat warm for him, and that the new recruits might be trouble. Kilowog agrees and says that us mammals gotta stick together. And that brings forth the problem that Guy has. Guy told Nort that he would ask the Guardians to make him an official Green Lantern. Kilowog can't believe Guy would promise such a thing, as the Guardians he remembered would boot Guy out of the Corps for even asking to let Nort join the Corps. Guy realizes that this would put Hal back as Green Lantern of Sector 2814 and disgrace him in front of the JLI. Resolved to make mincemeat out of Nort, Guy prepares to head back to Newt to pick up the moronic mutt, but not before some good old-fashioned brawling with Kilowog. Cut to Newt, where Newman and his nephew Nort walk through the rubble that was once their palatial estate. Since they lost their power rings, they've been shunned by the rest of the community. Chased out of town, Nort wishes that he could become an actual Green Man. And with that, a flash of green light comes from the sky to bestow the wish on Nort. But it isn't the Blue Fairy, but Guy Gardner, who yanks Nort off and heads toward Oa. To show his appreciation, Nort gives Guy his number one bone, the one that he'd had since a puppy. Befuddled and not knowing what to do, Guy heads to the one person who can help him to get out of this situation. Here we get a great opening chapter that basically finishes up the whole Guy and his Nord storyline that we covered in the past few issues of this, or past few issues of this show, as we see the conflicted Guy Gardner not knowing what to do with Nord, who essentially saved him from the Weaponers. So, it's a fun little story. Let's get to the notes. We've got page two here, panel one. We see the denizens of New York City looking up to see a flaming symbol in the sky, and of course it's got to be either one of two things, the Fantastic Four or Guy Gardner. And since this is a DC comic book, you can bet that it's not going to be the Fantastic Four. Page 3, panel 4, Kilowog! We get more Kilowog here, and he's dressed to the nines in his official Green Lantern uniform, which... Looks like probably one of those military dress uniforms with the stereotypical flat-top military hat. It's it's a really cool look for Kilowog. Page 4, panel 5. As Guy and Kilowog come crashing to the wall, you see Blue ba- Beetle standing by the uh, bookshelf, just looking on. and He's got the kind of expression that, hey, this is just another Tuesday here around the JLI Embassy. People beating the living hell out of each other. Not a big problem. And as the fight continues, on page 5, panel 4, we see Guy being smashed to the ceiling and coming up to the floor on the second level, where we get a nice shot of fire hopping out of the shower. It's pretty sweet. And it's so sweet, on panel 5 of the same page, we get a picture of Blue Beetle looking up, trying to get, hopefully, an upskirt shot of fire. Something I'm thinking every reader of this comic was probably looking forward to. 
page 8, panel 3, it's kind of odd. Usually when someone mumbles something, you know, the lines for the text just get kind of scribbly. But here, de Guzman put in a bunch of weird lettering. It looks like Guy is actually trying to speak Kryptonese. So kind of a weird sort of lettering thing for his uh, word balloon. Page 10 is the fight between Guy and Kilowog resumes. We get some great onomatopoeia. We get Clobbo, Fratch, my favorite Frack, which obviously isn't the Battlestar Galactica curse word, and Kaboo-wham. <laughs> I love these sort of things. I guess it's kind of a throwback to the whole you know, Batman series in the 1960s where you'd have the giant automatopoeia pop up whenever Batman and Robin were punching some of the villains. It's all good fun. And final note here, page 13, panel 5, we see Nort... After being picked up by Guy and flown to space, give Guy his favorite bone with a little message on it saying, To my favorite guy. And again, this is one of those things where if you have pets, you'll kind of sympathize with that. Your pet will sometimes come up to you and leave you a treat, which, you know, is usually like a dead bird or something like that. Something you really don't want, but... They think that they're giving you the most wonderful thing in the world, and that's what Nort's giving Guy. It's his first bone. It's the one that he grew up chewing with, and it means something special to him, and Guy just doesn't know how to take it. It's it's a great capper to the end of the Guy and the Nort storyline, and it sets up the rest of the issue really well. So, that's the end of Chapter 1. I'm going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then come back with Chapter 2. A long time ago... In a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. Star Wars. Monthly Mondays. Available the first Monday of every month at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back. Let's start on Chapter 2 of Green Lantern number 13. Chapter 2 is titled The Core, C-O-R-E, rather than Core, C-O-R-P-S. The writer is Gerard Jones. The artists are Pat Broderick and Bruce Patterson. Letter is Albert de Guzman, colorist Anthony Tolan, and the editors are Andy Helfer and Kevin Dooley. The chapter opens with Hal Jordan taking on a Quardian weaponer. 
It looks like the transplant from the animated realm has Hal on the ropes. Until Hal wraps a ring construct noose around his neck, pulls the weaponer back, and hits him with a right cross. It seems that this was all a training exercise for the new Lantern recruits. Chaselon, the D-20 alien, Larvox, a single-eyed slug with multiple tentacle-like limbs, and Brick, a female rock golem. Think the Amazons from Futurama, except made of cement. Hal schools them on what it means to be a Green Lantern. After some soul-searching mumbo-jumbo between Hal and Brick, Larvox decides to collapse the sphere that the weaponers are being held in, effectively killing them. Hal intervenes, saying that the Guardians want them for questioning. Brick and Larvox get into an argument about duty to the core for the greater good. How can this be for the greater good? The greater good. Shut it! Which is quickly ended by an energy bolt that howls back as the weaponers escape. Thinking her snuggle bunny is dead, Brick leaps into action, taking one of the weaponers into her hands and threatening to crush his head. Larvox comments that Brick was unwilling to kill for the greater good. The greater good. Shut it! But now is willing to kill to avenge Hal's death. The trio come to an agreement that they must follow the will of the Guardians, and they place the Weaponers back inside the sphere. With that, Hal congratulates them on making a wise choice. You have chosen wisely. He tells the trio that this was a test to see how they could work together, and they passed. Some more metaphysical gobbledygook is thrown around, <clears throat> and the lantern's head turns around, running into a perturbed Guy Gardner and Nort along the way. Here we get the portion of the book that's basically Hal's story. We get Hal and his new recruits looking for the weaponers that might have escaped the explosion that occurred in the antimatter universe in the last issue. We're also shown Hal being sort of an instructor to the new recruits, and we also get a lot of moral posturing. But we'll get to that in the notes here, starting with page 14 and 15. It's interesting how it starts out all these thought balloons... You think that it's just dialogue of Hal thinking to himself about what he needs to do to take out these weaponers. But actually, it's Hal communicating, I guess, through the ring and te telepathically to the recruits of what you should do in order to fight someone. It's a neat little way of you know, varying the idea of Hal thinking about what he's supposed to be doing and Hal being the teacher. It was kind of an interesting plot device. And like I said before, on pages 18 through 19, we get a lot of the moral ambiguity in this chapter. We get Larvox, who's from a race that believes that the individual as a whole isn't really important, and it's the collective that should be taken care of. Therefore, the extermination of the weaponers' lives wouldn't necessarily be affecting the whole part of the evil of the weaponers. Hal, of course, has to disagree, saying that all sorts of killing is wrong, and that the Guardians have told them not to do it. And, of course, Brick, who is totally enamored with Hal, completely agrees with him, and threatens to kill Larvox if he doesn't abide by the decision of the Guardians. Of course, after the two go at it, Hal has to break them up, and then, immediately the scene afterwards, Hal gets a lightning bolt in his back, and I guess some of the weaponers have escaped, which leads us to page 20, panel 3, where Brick is holding the dead body of Hal Jordan, nuzzling him up against her stony bosoms. And 
I'm wondering if Hal kind of planned this just so he could stick his head between her boobs. I mean, with Hal's track record, I wouldn't put it past him. And of course, after the weaponers are captured and Brick threatened to kill one of them, and there's more moral posturing about you know whether or not they should kill or whether or not they should abide by the will of the Guardians, they finally come to the conclusion that what's best is to do what the Guardians ask and follow the rules. And it's at this point that Hal basically does a psych on the three new recruits, and everyone is just surprised that Hal is still alive. Especially Brick, who's probably feeling a little happy in her stony parts. Page 24, panel 1. You know, basically Hal tells the recruits that he got the weaponers to shoot to miss rather than shoot to kill, and he did that through mind tampering. And he told the recruits that eventually he'll teach them about mind tampering. And as he does it, Brick says, Teach me anything, Hal. Teach me anything. Yeah, you know what Hal wants to teach her. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, next note I have is page 25, panel 2, and we get another line from Brick saying, Someday, I hope I will be among your experiences. Yeah, I don't know if that kind of experience is what Hal's going to go for, but whatever. But that wraps up chapter two. Let's take another quick break, play a promo, and be right back with the final chapter of this story. On May 30th, 2011, DC Comics announced the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. Not true. That's impossible. Critics and naysayers abounded. Confusion reigned across fandom. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view. Not to mention the first reactions to the Supergirl costume. I hated her so much. It it the it flame flames flames on the side of my face, breathing breathless. Heaving breaths. Heaving. But then the books actually hit. And opinions... He likes it! He likes it! Opinions began to change. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson, J. David Weider, and Michael Kaiser take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right. Or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures. Falling from the sky, speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The New 52 Adventures of Superman. 
Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libsyn.com. And we're back for the final chapter in this comic. Chapter 3 is titled The Core, C-O-R-P-S. The writer is Gerard Jones. The artists are M.D. Bright and Romeo Tangal. Letterers Albert Guzman, colorist Anthony Tolan, and editors are Andy Helfer and Kevin Dooley. The scene opens with a mob of Oa's transplanted aliens asking how long it'll be before they can be returned to their homes. Trying to keep the peace, Lander John Stewart assures the mob that as soon as the Guardians fully restore the central battery, they will be going home. Hot Widow Mom Rose steps forward and asks how long that will be. John has no definitive answer, and before he can incur any more of the mob's wrath, he flies off to try and help the Guardians. John reaches the central battery as the Guardians are putting the final touches on the battery. The Guardians tell John to test it by charging his ring off of it, and as he does this, a bolt of pinkish energy shoots from the central battery coalescing into the form of a man. The energy surrounds John, and he falls to the ground, his ring momentarily showing a faint pink afterglow. The Guardians thank John for his service and inform him that the battery is now fully repaired. John asks when they can begin sending the cities back, but the Guardians say that the battery needs time to fully recharge. John looks at the disparate cities along the Owen horizon and thinks that keeping them at peace will be an impossible task. But the Guardians are sure that John is the one who will bring peace to the masses. As the Guardians enter the battery to make final repairs, John hears the bickering of Hal and Guy as they fly in to present the new recruits. The three Earth Lanterns look upon the repaired battery with awe, until the Guardians come racing out of it on a beam of green energy. They ask where the new recruits are, and Guy offers to go get them. Hal tells Guy that he needs to do what he promised, and with much consternation, Guy recommends membership into the Corps for Nord. The Guardians look shocked, but that shock soon turns to uproarious laughter, something that freaks out John and Hal. The Guardians will admit Nort, and they assign him to be Guy's assistant in the hopes that he will temper Guy's enthusiasm. And with the recruits selected, and Guy left pondering just what the hell he had gotten himself into, the Guardians bid the Lanterns to come to charge their rings, speak the oath, and become members of the Green Lantern Corps. Well, there you have it. Pretty much everything wrapped up in a nice, neat package and delivered to you with some really great art from Tangal and Bright. But let's go ahead and hit my notes from this last chapter. Uh, page 26, panel 1. It's nice to see that the fire-pooping shugs have gotten together with the rest of the denizens of the transplanted cities from Moa and are deciding to petition Green Lantern John Stewart about how long it's going to take them to get home. And I guess it's also nice in this world that rednecks don't hold grudges. Page 27, panel 7, we get John thinking about Kat Matui and all that went on with her, and it's one of those things that's going to play into his redemptive arc over the next couple of issues, so I guess get settled in for a more introspective and maybe a little bit of a mopey John Stewart. Page 28, panel 3. It's nice to see that the Guardians decide to send basically the only black guy on the planet to go test the possibly deadly central battery for any flaws. 
Yeah, thanks, Guardians. You're going to be hearing from Jesse Jackson pretty soon. But on page 29, after John does charge his ring on the battery, we get this odd reddish-pinkish sort of magenta energy being sort of forming around John, and then as he falls to the ground, we see the sort of same-colored energy coming from his ring. Hmm. Who is a being in the Green Lantern mythos who's sort of magenta and could be an antagonist to the Green Lantern Corps? Hmm. It's a puzzler. Page 30, panel 2. After John has fallen to the ground and basically been electrocuted probably nearly to death, one of the Guardians actually shows some concern, but... The Guardian asked John if he sensed an energy disruption or an alien presence in his body. Really? That's the first thing they think of, is there'd be an alien presence in his body? Are, are they just foreshadowing something? Could they be a little bit less subtle? Anyhow, on page 34, you get Guy trying to skip out about talking about Nort, and you get to realize that Guy didn't really know what to say, so Hal kind of coached him on what to say. Because Hal's cool like that. And page 35, you see Guy blow up, and in the, one of the panels he goes, It was the bone! It's the bone that did me! That darn bone! And the Guardian asks, Bone? And he goes, Yeah, it's like this, you see? I could have done it. I couldn't have beat the Cordians. Wrecked the rings. Nothing! Without Nort. And he begrudgingly then says that he wants to have him admitted for the Green Lantern Corps. And it's a great character moment for Guy, showing that he's basically not the ass that he's been made out to be in the Justice League books, that he really has a heart of gold, and with the right writers, he can be made an interesting and character that, you know, you can actually care about. Page 36, we get the Guardians laughing. Yeah, reading those panels, it took everything I had to keep me from visualizing that scene from Evil Dead 2. Creepy. And finally, on page 38, we get the final shot of all the new and old members of the Green Lantern Corps. And, you know, it should be really awesome, but unfortunately there's just something about the artwork that just isn't. You know, the characters are kind of bland. And it's sad because... Tangles and Bright's artwork throughout the rest of the portion of the issue were really good. So I don't know what it was. It looks kind of rushed. But 
That finishes up my notes for the comic, so let's go take a quick look at some of the ads in the comic and see if there's anything fun and enjoyable. And actually, on the inside front cover, we get something that's probably going to be pretty fun. It's the NES version of the game Beetlejuice. Now, I only vaguely remember playing this. You know, the one thing that I remember is it's got that sort of pixelated image of Michael Keaton's head as Beetlejuice, and underneath it gives you text directions of what you need to do. I remember it being an okay game. Later on, we get an ad for Cracker Jacks, which have Topps baseball cards inside of them. So, not only can you get your sugary, sweet, caramel-filled popcorn, but you can also get some sticky baseball cards to go along with it. And, of course, the next page, we get an ad for Score football cards. So, again, with the trading cards for football and baseball and what have you. Later on, we get the same single-panel splash of the Red Dragon attacking the, uh, well, I guess the sort of Conan-esque barbarian, the ad for the new version of Dungeons & Dragons, which again will require you to spend all your money on new books that basically have the same information as the old books you had. Next page, we get a split-page ad for the Chicago Comic-Con with Chris Claremont and Jim Starenko as the main draws for the con, and underneath you get a Twin City Books comic listing for all the comics they have and the prices that they're wanting for them. You know, and I find this odd. Going through the book, a lot of the ads actually were in the Guy Gardner section of the comic, and there really were no ads for the Hal Jordan part of the comic. So I'm wondering if they felt the story for Guy wasn't important enough, or whether they just wanted to pack more in on the Hal Jordan story, or... Whatever it was, they seemed to put most of the most of the advertisements in with the two secondary Green Lanterns from Earth. Because it isn't until halfway through the John Stewart story that we get an ad for Great Eastern Conventions with their convention in Los Angeles, which I think I talked about last issue. It's got a really nice piece of art of the Tim Drake Robin on the page. Pretty cool. Then we get another ad for East Coast Comics and all the comics they're selling and the prices. So check that out. Again, we get that stereotypical hodgepodge page. Nothing really that different. Well, maybe. I've got one here where you can buy actual videos of the TV superhero cartoons from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The Hanna-Barbera and Filmation ones. So, essentially, we had a company that was predating YouTube. Next page, we get a nice house ad with what looks like some Garcia Lopez Superman flying across the top, saying, now you can have it all, convenience and savings, and you can order all the uh, DC comics, and they give prices in the comics, so it's a, it's a cool picture of Superman. He's looking good. And back inside cover, we get the ad for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game for the NES system. Yeah, like I said before, I don't think this was like the arcade version, and If it wasn't like the arcade version, I probably wasn't all that into it. And lastly, on the back cover, we get WCW Championship Wrestling, featuring the Road Warriors and other NWA wrestling stars. I guess at the time, they didn't realize the other meaning for the acronym NWA. Otherwise, this may not have gotten printed. But that is it for this time. Sadly, no Three Musketeers or no Capri Sun ads. Nothing I can do a fun reenactment of. Eh, Disappointing, but I'm certain there'll be more next time around. But speaking of next time around, I got contacted a while back by Michael Bailey, and yes, I'm name-dropping. Michael Bailey talked to me. I'm special. (laughs) No, 
I'm not. Uh, but Michael asked uh, if I was going to be covering Emerald Dawn 2, because technically Emerald Dawn 2 is going to be coming up around the cover dates that the next few issues are going to be out. And I put some serious thought into it and said, yeah, I probably ought to cover Emerald Dawn 2. But it doesn't really make any sense for me to cover Emerald Dawn 2 if I'm not going to cover Emerald Dawn 1. Now, initially, I hadn't planned on doing Emerald Dawn 1 or 2, but Michael put the thought in my head, and it sounded like a good deal. Now, initially, I didn't have the singles for Emerald Dawn 1, and because I'm a lazy bugger and didn't want to go out on the internet, on eBay, or and couldn't find them in my local comic book shop, I just decided to buy the trade. So... Next week, I'm going to be doing reviews of the first hat three issues of Emerald Dawn 1, read from the trade, so unfortunately there won't be any ads, so we'll be missing that. And then the week after that, I'll be doing the second part of Emerald Dawn. Then the weeks after that, I'm going to split up the three issues, or actually the six issues of Emerald Dawn 2 into two podcasts, and do those for you. Then after that, we'll get back into the storyline that's going to be dealing with Jon Stewart, dealing with the Mosaic world. I can't wait to get to that either. So, come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, where we'll start covering the origin of Hal Jordan as Green Lantern in Emerald Dawn. Take care, and we'll see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingram. All images, stories, and music are copyright the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys Podcast. And you can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you can obviously spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening soundtrack to today's episode was Britney Spears 3, remixed by the awesome YouTube artist Blix. Go check out his page on YouTube and listen to some of the fine remixes he's done for songs that basically would make your ears bleed if you listen to them not remixed.